Hi everyone, I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frank Yamada. And we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast from Association Briefings, where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Markom strategy, people, membership, and money. So Frank, it's been a while. What's new with you? No, we're not going any further until you share your big basketball coaching career news. <laughs> uh, coaching career is a bit of a stretch, but yeah, I mean, I've spent the last three months coaching my son's middle school basketball team. We're talking 10, 12-year-old boys dribbling, shooting, talking smack for four hours a week. Um, but yeah, we finished the regular season going 8-0, and which is outstanding considering we didn't win a game last year. But uh, yeah, now on to postseason tournament play, which reminds me, uh, we have practice in about an hour. Jeez. So let me get this straight. You're you're a CEO. You're a host of two podcasts. You're, you're a, a basketball coach. I'm sure your your phone's ringing off the hook with NBA GMs trying to hire you now. Uh, you're a loving husband and father of three. I, I know you don't have to worry anymore about watching your Cowboys lose every Sunday, but where else do you find time to do all these things? Man, that last statement just it really hurt. <laughs> I'm not sure I can go on here. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's hard. And, you know, everything you named right now is just kind of a small aspect of life. Basketball, soccer, homework, relearning high school geometry, I feel like. Uh, carpooling and just, you know, everyday routines with family. Of course, let's not forget about work. I mean, you want to be a good boss. You want to be a great husband and father. You want to be a good friend, but let's face it, you know, sleep is nice, eating is nice, and you want to live a, a balanced life. You know, it's a struggle all on its own, but I guarantee, you know, every single listener we have is facing the same challenges. It's, I'm not unique here. But we have a guest with us today that helps professionals in the nonprofit space find the balance they need to avoid burnout and live a more productive life. Gilda Vander Hayden is the founder of a well-being at work and executive coaching practice. Her mission is to help organizations build a healthy and collaborative team environment that enhances employee engagement and satisfaction. Her innovative approach has enabled clients to attract and retain top talent while setting themselves apart as employers of choice. She currently resides in Northern Virginia with her husband, two daughters, and a yellow lab puppy. When she's not coaching, you can find her exploring nature and hiking to picturesque waterfalls, indulging in unique and delicious cuisine, we're unwinding in a cozy local coffee shop. Welcome to the podcast, Jilda. Thank you very much. Really appreciate being here, Colby and Frank. We're excited for the conversation. So we'll start here. You know, the idea of work-life balance, it's, it's been around a while, but it seems like we've been talking about it, you know, more and more in the last couple of years. And it's a term that seems to coincide with you know, discussions on the great resignation, quiet quitting, the future of work. It all kind of gets pieced together. But as we talk about this, just so we have a, a thorough understanding, can you define what work-life balance is today and how that definition has maybe changed over the last few years? Absolutely. And it definitely, it, it's funny, it's, it stayed the same a little bit, but also has changed with the context of everything that has happened with COVID, et cetera. And I would say a good definition is really successfully managing both your personal and professional responsibilities in a way that's going to promote overall well-being and satisfaction. And it could touch on things like having a good handle on your time, your energy, your tension. You might be 
focusing on what priorities make the most sense at the moment. And it also has to do with, you know, contributing positively to your physical, mental, and emotional health. So it's more holistic. And so in a sense, that definition is still the same technically, and the terms have changed. It's more like work-life integration, work-life harmony. I think just the term work-life balance is just all-encompassing, but more the term like flex work these days is, I think, a little bit more relevant. And I think in terms of the different changes, it's just shown that, first of all, COVID has proven to all of us that it's possible to work from home. You don't have to have the nine to five Monday through Friday to successfully get the outcomes you want. And, you know, people have been able to manage both. At the same time, it's also brought on challenges where those that have worked with a traditional schedule, all of a sudden they're stuck at home with kids running around, pets, and showing up on camera. And, you know, your, your pajama pants are not shown on camera, all the different things that kind of come with that. So it's an interesting dynamic, but I think more than anything for a lot of associations, other organizations, it's put the spotlight that mental health is super important in, in the whole scheme of things. Sure, that makes sense. I, I would be disappointed if I didn't hear a dog bark or a, a kid cry or, or someone run past me. So I, I do enjoy this flexibility. I, th- I think it certainly contributes to the overall well-being in the workplace. I'm glad that this podcast is only audio because I'm completely in pajamas right now. Jill, in your opinion, why should associations care about well-being at work? Really, I think with COVID, this has actually provided more of an opportunity than anything because what we're seeing, and I'm talking about speaking with recruiters, talking to different professionals at different meetings and events I've been attending, and since this is such a popular topic and they you know, know my role, this conversation comes up frequently. And more than anything, what we're seeing is things like companies poaching from other organizations, top talent that have a very rigorous structure or traditional structure who are do not allow that flex time or have, you know, don't allow remote work, whatever the case may be. And that's fine. Each organization could do whatever suits them. But what I think is coming to light is that this is a huge opportunity for those that prioritize well-being in the workplace you're going to be able to grab top talent. So not only does it help with things like employee engagement, increasing it, increasing employee satisfaction, which leads to higher retention rates, um, job satisfaction. There's a, like a ton of stuff I ended up kind of researching just the other night. And, you know, things like Fortune 500 companies that focus on this priority of a healthy work culture, they see higher prices in their stock, a higher appreciation, you know, in, in all kinds of other areas. So bottom line, you know, if you're keeping your people happy and it's a good place where they want to work, they're going to want to flock to you. So I think more than anything, it's more about that opportunity and creating that kind of environment where you want that top talent and, and be able to keep them. So who struggles the most when it comes to well-being at work? I mean, are we talking the executives? Are we talking middle management? Are we talking support staff? Who struggles the most? That's an interesting question, Colby. And the honest answer is no one is immune from trying to figure out how am I going to manage the kids and all their activities and 
all the pressures and deadlines I have at work. I mean, no one is immune <laughs> to this challenge. So it's really affecting everyone. And I also wanted to mention um, one of the things I found about uh, when we that earlier question that Frank asked was that I actually found a study. I wanted to back it up for folks that like da data, which was it's called the Association of Workplace Culture of Health and Employee Wellbeing. And what they actually found was that by having a healthier work culture or environment, they had higher work engagement, lower levels of stress, and lower levels of depression in that actual study. And that's after they factored in for different potential changes in things like the gender, age, their actual job description or classification, the different organizations, and biometric data. So that's across the board, and that is similar to what other studies have found as well. I just wanted to mention that. Gotcha. Speaking of demographics, does the idea of well-being, um, does it differ per generation? No, I mean, I would say it's more individual, meaning someone who's, you know, Gen Xer and versus a millennial, they may have different things that are important to them, depending on what particular area they are in their life. So someone with a family might want more flexibility and be able to stop work at five o'clock so that they can really be present with their family after hours versus someone who's single and doesn't have that, doesn't mind working a little bit longer, but you know, might want more social interaction at work because they, they just go to work or they're partly working from home and they need that interaction, that connection. So it really depends on the person, but I would say all areas, it's, it's almost like you know, you find that one area affects the other. So it's that thing where, okay, you have a fight with your partner and now you're in a grumpy mood and then that impacts your mood at work and you're not really productive at all. And same thing happens on the other end. Maybe it's, you know, something at work, it stresses you out and you're in a grumpy mood and you take it out on your family. So it's, it's all kind of interconnected. So there's not this kind of scales of balance, so to speak. It's really that flow that like figuring it out at each moment, you know, what do I focus on and how am I best using my energy, my time, my attention? So really back to that. Have you found that it's difficult for a leader to possibly admit to the struggling when it comes to workplace well-being and you know, what advice could you give there? Oh yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, um, there's this perception, especially in the corporate world, that you have to be, you have to show up completely confident, you're stuffed together, there's no weakness, always strong. And, and I get that. So I would say, yeah, it is, it can be very much a challenge to admit, hey, I don't have all my stuff together. But what was very interesting is that in some of that research I was doing, there were two professors, one out of University of Texas, Austin, and then one from UPenn, a professor by the name of Adam Grant. And the other professor, sorry, her name's a little harder. I think it's Constantine Cotiferous. Sorry, I'm not going to bosh the name. But anyways, they actually came up with a joint field experiment. Mm -hmm. And they took groups of managers and one set of managers asked for feedback on their performance at work. And then the other set of managers, they simply just shared areas of development, meaning, hey, these are areas they could improve on. What I thought was very fascinating is a year later, 
the data from this experiment actually revealed that the psychological safety, which really boils down to how safe does somebody feel in showing up as themselves and being able to communicate what's really on their mind, basically what it comes down to, but their psychological safety actually improved when the leaders just shared their areas where they needed improvement versus there really was not any effect if they were asking for feedback on their performance. So I thought that was very, very fascinating. And so bottom line for the leaders, it's a tough thing to do. But if you are showing that vulnerability, what it's really doing is it's normalizing, hey, it's totally okay that this is part of the process. This is it happens to me as your leader. And it's almost giving them permission to have that psychological safety and do the same thing. And that's actually what happened because they did some follow-up interviews with those employees. And what they learned was it helped team members feel safe and share their own challenges. And again, it just sort of made it like, hey, it's no big deal if our CEO, COO, or ED is doing that, then it's okay for me to. So I think that that was, you know, if anything, you've got proof that shows, you know, your vulnerability is something that can be good for everybody. So I think when we talk about burnout, which again is another keyword that seems to be popping up right now, and obviously well-being and this idea of work-life balance helps with not getting burned out at, at work. I think that you know the re- responsibility of managing that burnout it's, it's shifted. You know, it used to be. I believe on the employees, oh, take more vacation, you know, make sure that you're taking your long lunches, et cetera. But I think that it's kind of shifted now away from the employees and more towards the employers. So what strategies can associations implement to foster this environment of well-being in the workplace? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Colby. Really, there's a lot of different things and, and strategies that come into play. But I would say really what it comes down to is starting with some simple questions of honesty. When you look at your own organization, you know, do people enjoy working with us? And that includes both internally as well as external partners and and other groups. And if not, be really, really honest in, well, what areas could really use the attention? And I think it's more all about creating an environment both physically and otherwise, you know, emotionally, um, mentally as well, that is really safe and welcoming, if anything. And so some of the factors to keep in mind in regards to that are trust, because if you don't have that, you can't build upon anything else, whether it's, you know, effective communication or other types of things. And also looking at the level of support, not only at the leadership level, but depending on how large your organization is, mid-management, as well as peer-to-peer. And they're different. So um, just kind of keeping a check on that. And then the actual policies, meaning are they walking the actual talk, so to speak? Um, Yeah, we have, you know, we promote well-being. And yeah, we have this great health fair once a year. And maybe they do a session, a brown bag lunch session on um, nutrition or you know healthy eating. Great, but is it a place where people enjoy being and do they feel supported in what they're doing and trying to do their job 
or the, you know, whatever their purpose is within the organization. And, you know, not just the actual trainings and like the how to's, but the, the, even the emotional support of does my manager understand or have my back when, gosh, I've got a child that got sick. Hey, give me a little slack. I really need this time to be there for them. And guess what? After 5 p.m. or over the weekend, I'm going to make up for it, you know? And I think it's really a two way street, to be honest with you. And you are right, Colby, in that, you know, prior to COVID, it was more like this is an employee's responsibility to go look at their EAP program or go find resources. Like, okay, if you're burnt out, that's like your problem. But now, because of the different hybrid environments and um, new ways of working, the mental health being in the spotlight, it's like, oh, wait, this is actually our problem as well because it's impacting our employees personally and their work. So then then all of a sudden the employers are paying attention and they're realizing that, you know, with the great migration and all that, that was honestly, I think, a wake up call for all of us in the pandemic to really reassess like, wow, life is short. This is crazy. And what am I really doing? What's my life about? What do, you know? And a lot of them said, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to keep doing the same old, same old. Something has to change. And they they left. But then a lot of times now, people are now looking just for, I think I read a different stat the other day that it says that the workforce is now up to pre-pandemic levels. And that's because they're looking for other remote work opportunities, more flexible opportunities. So again, if you're not in that space now, that's okay these kinds of questions can kind of help you figure out like where you're at and then make the changes to really collect on that top talent. So a couple other questions to consider um, and that other initial question you asked Colby were, how can we facilitate more connection, more collaboration? And that could include not only team building events, but just, you know, off the cuff social activities just to get people to bond and get to know each other. Because sometimes, especially if people come, they're onboarded and they're brand new and they're fully remote, that's a tough challenge for a lot of organizations to how do they integrate them into their culture. So just having different kinds of things like that, as well as recognizing successes and not just the big formal awards, but little everyday things really do add up of like, hey, I really appreciate you filling in for me, you know, once you had something going on. Uh, those types of little things make a difference. And then another question they can ask is, you know, how can we really focus on helping our employees feel valued and appreciated and sometimes it's about sharing the success stories and sharing wins or, again, the little things, not necessarily, oh, my gosh, I, I got a new client. Great. But this person helped support me when I was out in the field and that resulted in us getting a new client. Yeah, different little things like that. Yeah. So those are just some ideas. But again, just more the support and then effective communication also being an important factor as well. Yeah, those are all great ideas. Thanks for sharing. And this has been fantastic. And, you know, what, what file advice can you get or leave us when it comes to work-life balance? Oh, yeah. So I usually do workshops on things like burnout and work-life balance, creating potential balance. And so I actually have usually in some form or another my nine-step get in the balance zone formula. So there's it's a long list. So I'll just kind of give you a couple highlights from it, not to bore you with all of it. But a lot of it just starts with at the at least the individual level, figure out what's really important to you in terms of what that ideal balance looks like. 
and taking inventory of not only your time, your energy and attention as we talked about, but also paying attention to little things like your self-talk. That's actually a big one. Um, deploying some counterintuitive types of tactics, like taking breaks actually makes you more productive, things along those lines. And one thing I will share is that I do see a lot of, at least on the individual level, because I work with organizations, helping them integrate well-being at work and individuals in terms of work-life balance. And at the individual level, what I'm seeing is that usually it's not they know all the time management tools and how to prioritize it. They know all that. It's more the self-limiting beliefs that if I don't show up as a team player, I'm not doing enough or I'm not enough. Those kind of underlying issues. Once you get support, so I'd encourage folks to get support on working through some of those limiting beliefs, whether it's just a friend, a colleague that you want to chat with or you know, professional like a coach, that's really been super helpful in then being able to implement the practical side of things. And then I'd say, you know, focusing on your priorities, your values, and then coming up with ways to successfully set yourself up for continued success, meaning, hey, what do you do when things don't go as planned? Do you have a backup plan for that? And then how do you maintain operating in that balance zone? So those are just like kind of the the shorter version of what I like to advocate for for folks. And also just to remember that nobody has this figured out. Okay, I may study this and I love the whole field of this, but I don't have it figured out. But every time I learn something new, I want to share and that's how it is. So just keep in mind, it's constantly a work in progress and that's for everyone. Even the folks you think that have it all together, believe me, they don't, they may not want to admit it, but it is something that, you know, it, it takes time and it it takes adjustment, but there are times when you, and moments when you feel, hey, I'm more in flow and I'm in, I'm more in balance at this moment, and it's well worth it when you do make the effort to try to make some adjustments. Tilda, thank you for that, and thank you for your time. We really appreciate you being a part of today's discussion. Now, we'd like to put you in the hot seat one last time for the vital segment we like to call the briefings minute. We're going to go fire off a minute worth of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. So uh, please just give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Here we go. When talking about balance, time always plays a factor. So if there were five more hours in a day, what would you do with them? Ooh, five more hours in a day. Well, this again is might sound kind of counterintuitive, but I would actually start working on more mindset and internal work because that's going to really drive what happens on the exterior. Excellent. So I hear you're a former salsa dancer. Is that true or false? <laughs> yeah, wow. Excellent. <laughs> Good. So for someone trying it out for the first time, what are some tips? Oh, wow. Honestly, it's just kind of let your body move to the actual music like naturally, because that's the part people struggle with the most is just being on beat with it. So yeah, I would say that's the the quickest way to, to start learning. I would, I would fail immediately. I'm a terrible dancer. <laughs> well, speaking of music, if every time you entered a room, you had entrance music, what would that song be? Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know why, but what's popping in my mind right now is, you know, like the angelic, like, oh, kind of thing. <laughs> 
not necessarily a particular song, but like, you know, I want to like really light somebody else up or inspire or motivate them. So that's kind of what comes to mind. We'll take that. That's fair. If you could be the spokesperson of any food product, which one would it be? Ooh, ooh, I do love food. Uh, that's a tough one. I guess, you know, I think a fun one might be like some Italian gelato, like a new flavor. I, I'm a big fan of gelato, so that would be kind of fun to do that. <laughs> what celebrity would you feel could be an excellent boss? Ooh, I'm thinking more the opposite. Um, okay, excellent boss. I would say... Um, person that's coming to mind is someone I actually follow online, and her name is Marie Forleo. She wrote a book called Everything is Figureoutable. I think she'd be a pretty awesome boss because she's very understanding. She has her stuff together and very sharp and very supportive. So I would say for those that know her, Marie Forleo. Great. So it's Valentine's week. Would you rather have a bouquet of roses every day or a box of chocolates every day? Oh, I would say probably roses because uh, that's too much chocolate. <laughs> I love chocolate, but that might be a little too much every day. <laughs> Safe answer. Uh, I'm here that you're a diehard Wonder Woman fan. If you can have one of her strengths, which one would it be? That's a tough one. I admire a lot about her, but I would say it's her fierce ability to advocate for others yet she's still her own strong person and it doesn't take away from her power so probably like the empathy side but the strength at the same time having both and I think that's interestingly enough kind of what you asked about with leaders if they could kind of model those two together that blend is really a powerful component for them and their teams. That's a deeper answer than I was expecting. Nice job. (laughs) (laughs) So last question, as a parent of two, what is your favorite weekend activity on a beautiful day in Northern Virginia? If we plan it right, I would say we do like to hike nearby in um, Shenandoah National Park. Just take a hike up there. Although we've been spoiled because we just went to Banff Canadian National Park in July. Now, like nothing compares to Banff, but no, we did the smaller hikes first locally. But yeah, I think uh, just being out in nature, hiking or exploring like a new town, you know, trying a new coffee shop. Those kinds of things are really fun. All right. Well, that's the buzzer. Thanks again for joining us, Jilda. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on, and it was so much fun. Yeah, we enjoyed the conversation a lot. Colby and Frank, there is a gift I have for your audience. Yes. But I have two items. One is a free guide on how to focus on your priorities for all listeners if they want to take advantage of it. It's more of a workbook style type of thing that kind of helps them figure out their values, has some little tips in there on like time management as well. And then also a daily happiness formula. I just wanted to mention that. And they can grab those at nonprofitpath.com and you can, you know, surely link it in the show notes. Thank you very much for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. This was great. Good. We had fun. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 
And if you'd like more information about association briefings and how we can help your association produce a podcast or a unique data-driven newsletter, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. See you next time.